This episode of Bossable Podcast is sponsored by Zervant, the company behind the best invoicing software for small businesses and freelancers. Zervant is the easiest and fastest way to create and send invoices. It takes under one minute to create one. Just add a customer, add your products, hit send, and you're done. The company has been on a mission to help entrepreneurs succeed since 2010, and they've come far. Zervant is perfect for my small business. It's easy to use and very intuitive, said one of their customers. So go ahead and try Zervant for free. Go to Zervant.com, that's Z-E-R-V-A-N-T.com, and start getting paid for your work. Twenty years ago, she could have become a researcher in climate change, but instead, she joined an oil company. And now, that oil company makes half of its profits from renewable products. And that's the topic for today's episode. But before we go into that, I have a few things to say. So, this is the last episode of the season, and actually, this season has been exceptional in in many ways. So, in the previous seasons, I've pretty much done everything by myself. Editing, mixing, mastering social media, contacting guests, and so on. But that would not have been possible with this season since my main job at Tomorrow Labs has been taking more and more of my time. So this season, I've had a bunch of awesome people working with me to make this podcast happen. And it is time to say thank you. So, thank you Katya Alaya, my producer, for all your hard work in finding sponsors, finding guests, doing marketing, and just making sure that everything runs smoothly. I really appreciate your effort and you've made a huge impact on the podcast. I've also worked with three people from the podcast production company Toimitus, so thanks to Otto Ahoniemi for editing the episodes. Editing is absolutely crucial in making great episodes and you've done an amazing job. And thank you Juha Jaakkola for the professional grade mixing and mastering. Thanks Olli Sulapuisto for sending me invoices. Thanks to all the sponsors for this season uh, and obviously thank you whoever you are listening to this. After this episode, Bossable Podcast will be on a break until September. But do not worry, if you want to listen to stuff during the summer break, just go back and re-listen to some of your favorites. Or, if you're brave enough, start the whole podcast from the beginning. I'm sure you'll pick up a bunch of new stuff that you missed on the first spin. My guest today is Kaisa Hietala, Executive Vice President of Renewable Products at Neste. We talk about changing the oil industry from the inside out. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm Kaisa. Forget my surname. I mean, it's one of these complicated <laughs> Finnish surnames. Um, 47 years old, business professional, nowadays also learning to do um, a director role. And it's been a um, great journey so far, been uh, doing lots of things 
over the past years I've studied abroad, uh, worked abroad. Uh, yeah, that's me. Yeah. And in your current role, uh, you're on the executive board at Nesta and you're the uh, executive vice president of renewable products at Nesta. That's, that's correct. Right. Yes. yes. Yeah. But that's been a long time coming. You've actually spent 20 years at Nesta already. Indeed. Yeah. Time has been running quite fast. <laughs> and uh, some people might think that I'm sort of stuck with uh, with Nesta. But Neste has been always offering uh, great opportunities and uh, I always say that it's really great to work with a medium-sized company because they do rotate people much more than the large large companies typically do. Uh, you still feel that Neste is a is a medium-sized company, it's not a large company? Well, I, I come with the oil industry background and, and with a very international background as well. And for me, I mean... 5,000 employees. Uh, it's not that big. It, it's yeah. not that large, even though if you look at the revenues and profits, I mean, but that's so typical for for um, sort of a heavy asset industries that the revenues are high and so on. If I compare what it has been with me and uh, with, with some of my schoolmates when I graduated, some of them, they joined really large corporations and they have been really uh, specializing on their fields of of, uh, of studies. They are probably one of the key experts in the world. So they have done a narrow area and, and yeah. going very deep. While what I have been uh, doing when when joining Nesta 20 years ago is that I have done everything Lots across the val- yeah. value chain. <laughs> and that's, I feel, is the best way to learn to do business, to yeah. be honest. Let's talk a little about your highlights at the company. So uh, Since you've spent 20 years at the company, what have been the the best moments or the or the most important moments for you during your journey? I think uh, the first 10 years was all about uh, learning the uh, the business logic. I mean, when I I joined Neste within the same year when I graduated from the university, so yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it was all about learning the corporate life, learning yeah. the different skills that you need. But after that, it's been more like um, being able to combine the sort of the meaning and the purpose mm-hmm. of of me being a leader and the business because my background is in environmental uh, uh, topics i'm a geophysicist and an environmental scientist and somebody like me joining an oil industry yeah. there has to be a, a catch there has to be something <laughs> special so so i always wanted to create the change inside the the industry itself And my sort of topic uh, during my my studies was climate change. I was among the team's first uh, modeling climate change. And uh, I feel that the oil industry is one of the key industries who need to pay attention to this topic, this scientific topic. And then um, after 10 years with with Neste, I have been uh, fully focusing on how to transform oil industry to become less dependent on fossil resources. It feels interesting to me that that you studied environmental topics in university and then you applied to an oil company. So, did you really already back then have this idea that you wanna wanna go in and move the, uh, or change the industry from within, or or what was your motive for for going for Neste? My motive was uh, about changing the industry, but um, w- when I started with Neste, I was changing small things like. Yeah. Uh, I have specialized on understanding the climate change in the Arctic regions. Um, and um, Neste was one of the oil operators who was looking into oil production mm-hmm. above the Arctic Circle. 
And uh, that was probably my sort of a first uh, motive because you you really need to do the oil drilling and, and oil production in a different way when you operate under cold climate and you have the very vulnerable nature around you. But then uh, when I grew as a, as a professional uh, and I gained uh, much more skills, my sort of a personal ambition also grew quite yeah, a lot. Yeah. I mean, oil industry having a, a long history, more than 100 years of expertise, experience on globally on on how to build organizations, how to uh, attract talent, uh, how to uh, develop new technologies and, and all of this. I felt that it would be such a shame if this industry could not start to move towards uh, lower carbon solutions because the expertise is there. You just need to ask them to think it differently. Yeah. You also mentioned about your kind of these foundational skills that you learned during your first 10 years working for Nesta. What what do you think those skills are? Um, even though I, I did lots of science studies, uh, I have always been extremely commercially minded person yeah. <laughs> for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, so um, I, w- I was studying quite a lot of, uh, I mean, or or the skills I developed during the early years was, was really to understand uh, commerce really to understand trade, contracting, sourcing, even investments. Uh, so so I think it, because I do not have, um, I'm, I'm not trained to be an economist. So I had to develop those uh, quite a lot. And especially after that, you've also, uh, you've moved up in your career and you started leading other people and, and leading parts of the organization. And, and now, uh, obviously, as a as part of the executive group, you have a lot of responsibility within the company. How about from that perspective, what do you feel have been the most important lessons for you regarding your own ways of dealing with people and, and, and leading people? We could spend here a couple of days <laughs> to discuss uh, all of those things. Um For some reason, I have always been interested in, uh, in in leadership as a concept. It's something built inside me, and it's not uh, necessarily a need to control, yeah. but it is to need to move forward. Uh, and uh, quite quickly, in a in in a sort of a, a matrix organization, which which Neste has been, you start to realize that it's not necessary. I mean, you you have to have a good leadership skills, not necessarily because you are a team leader, but the fact that you need to influence lots of stakeholders, stakeholders inside the company and stakeholders outside the company and so on. And uh, there I have I have learned lots about communication and, and what is the what is the importance of that. I've also realized that uh, transformation and uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, building the trust for other people to start to follow you It's always a question of time as well. Leadership is not about uh, setting a process, but also creating the vision and inspiring people and uh, being able to bring the the, the topic uh, for them in a meaningful way. It has it has to be meaningful for the people so that they can commit to it and build the trust. And in a way, it has never been difficult. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the funny thing. It's like you talk to an to an artist. And you ask, where do they get the ideas for their songs or, or whatsoever, yeah. or the paintings and so on. And they just come from somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah. I have a similar relationship with the, with the leadership. When we once again look at your career, 
we already talked a little about the highlights. What do you feel have been the kind of difficult moments for you during the 20 years at Nesta? For me, I would say it's been uh, very much related to to my personal development as well. Um, I am a strong believer of, of cycles of life. And <laughs> for some reason, <laughs> I don't know, the every seventh year or the eighth year and, and the crisis yeah. come and, and it's also reflecting to my motivation and so on. I have learned a lot uh, when when being able to be part of, for example, a large merger. That was the time when Neste and IVO here in Finland was merged. Um, I was a young employee during that time, but... Uh, Now it's it's interesting to analyze what happened. So so that kind of uh, disruptive moments uh, have been have been really really interesting, challenging, but also interesting. Um, another interesting point um, for me and and challenging point has been the the speed of growth which we have experienced over the past years. Mm. Uh, it's uh, so positive as it is. It, it's uh, it's still uh, uh, pretty challenging to to find the right momentum and the right uh, sort of balance between the sort of you know the by pioneering spirits and the the those people who want to keep the foundation in a very good shape and are disciplined and so on. I would say that my sort of leadership has been mostly tested uh, now over the past years uh, when it comes to to the speed of growth and how to do it internationally. Uh, how to sort of uh, balance the the uh, the being innovative and at the same time having a feeling that we are on on top of this we have a, we have a control and and we know what is happening and so on and balancing those two things yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely that's the sort of the you know the the fine line how's it going at the at the moment This is a journey, so so we are practicing all the time. Um, as you can imagine, for a company like Nesta today, we have been uh, growing a lot. We have been transforming the company. Uh, there is a great spirit of uh, of uh, going forward. So I feel that my role at the moment is really to keep the feet on the ground and make sure that uh, the all the sort of the day to day um, uh, sort of a very important daily work gets done while we are running uh, for new opportunities and markets and so on. How do you define yourself? Do you first define yourself as a business person or do you define yourself through the background that you have in our environmental topics and and or do you define yourself through the uh, work that you've done within the organization as a leader? What's the like defining features for you? Oh, that's that's so hard question. <laughs> that is so difficult, difficult to to say. And of course, um, when we all go through different stages in life, we we sort of uh, also change sure, sure, uh, the definition. Yeah. It's been impacted by many things. Um, I would probably start by defining myself as a person first. Mm -hmm. Maybe it also describes that I'm a, also a pretty sort of a self centric personality. <laughs> um, But for me, it's been always about learning and development. Um, yeah. Even though, I mean, my professional role is is very sort of a clear and and well defined, and you can put the numbers on it and and whatever. I still feel that what has been driving me most has been the learning and the and the development. Yeah, this is. I, I think this is uh, this is a fascinating topic, I, and I still want to dig a little deeper. Maybe I could share with you. Um, One sort of a disruptive uh, 
point in my life where I felt that I was driven by this this kind of uh, definition of of what is meaningful yeah. to me. I mean, I I did quite a quite an interesting uh, science career, mm-hmm. and uh, I was uh, I had the PhD seat booked at the University of London, mm-hmm. and um, they were expecting me to join the research team. And it was all about climate change, and it was a great, great modeling team. And I mean, they are still doing a, a fantastic work and very well known and reputable team. And um, I was thinking that, okay, is this really something that I want to do? And um, I decided that I want to go and try the business world because I have this thinking that I I, I need to sort of uh, test where whether I can do change mm-hmm. <laughs> inside out, and. It was 10 years with Neste and the University of London sent me a letter saying that the 10 years has passed and I have not uh, utilized my PhD um, opportunity. So they are going to take it away. And I felt that, okay, all right, let, let's, let's uh, let that happen. And that was, uh, it was, I mean, it was clearly uh, my decision not to continue my uh, sort of um, uh, scientific career was driven by the fact that I wanted to learn still something more from a different angle point or, or from a different perspective. And and that just leads me to the question of what's next? You, you said that you started like, or you had the decision to go into an academic career. You chose a business career. You've now spent 20 years building a, a, a very impressive business career. What's up next? Yeah, that's that's an interesting question, and uh, I'm I'm definitely not going to answer that. <laughs> but but indeed, um, it's interesting how people consider that um, you need to achieve something in order to say that you have achieved something, and we typically measure it by by having a certain degrees or having a certain titles in business world and so on. While for me, it's it's really about, uh, do I feel that I have learned enough on, on a certain topic? And leadership topic is something where I, I feel that it's probably uh, never going to be uh, enough. Done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But leadership you need in all fields of, of life. We all know that uh, how how important it is to build your networks and uh, be able to influence and uh, and so on. So I think the uh, yeah the journey continues absolutely. Let me try this another way. So uh, if you were not working at Neste, what would you be doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a couple of very very uh, interesting hobbies. Um, I'm a big fan of music. Mm-hmm. I sing, yeah. and uh, I'm also. Um, person who believes in um, healthy life and a healthy lifestyle. So I have trained myself uh, as a personal trainer. And I was starting today's uh, workshop with uh, 20 plus people, internal uh, workshop, by doing stretching with them. <laughs> um, so I might uh, into figure out trainer. something <laughs> or something totally different. Who knows? A singing personal trainer, or <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be cool. Yeah. Well, 
uh, let's start moving into the topic of exploring new opportunities and and specifically talking about renewable products at at Neste. So, how did that get started at Neste? That Neste started looking that much into renewable products. Let me first uh, explain a bit why Neste. Um started the journey um, or, or started the transformation. Um, Neste has a long history of um, of uh, oil refining. We have never been um, as heavily involved in crude oil production, the oil drilling uh, part of the value chain as, as, for example, companies like Shell and Exxon's and, and so on. We have been focusing on, on refining, like uh, you take the crude oil and then you, you run it through a refinery and you get gasolines and diesels and aviation fuels and bitumens and, and so on. Um, and that expertise was developed here in Finland. And uh, that has been the, the, I would say, one of the key success criteria for a small oil company from Scandinavia to mm. succeed because we yeah. had to specialize. We were yeah. so small compared to the oil majors and we were not doing that much oil drilling. So we had to make the money out from the from the from the refining margins. And um, Nesta specialized on clean fuels already in 1980s. Uh, not many people know that Neste was the first company to introduce lead-free gasolines to the world. I mean, to the world. Uh, and then we were the first one who introduced the sulfur-free diesels to the world. And these are nowadays very common products. However, those innovations were developed originally uh, by, by Neste. So we had quite a great reputation and we had lots of expertise on doing niche, very clean products. And then... At some point in late 90s, there has been um, innovation developed that what if we would take this refining expertise and use it for something else than fossil crude oil? Meaning that uh, could we produce uh, fuels out from um, renewable raw materials? Eventually in 2006, um, the board of directors was uh, was really um, facing the the moment of truth that they they had to say that okay either we uh, we believe in this new technology and we want to try it or then we really need to rely on on what we are doing currently or, or during those days um, around the fossil related products only and there we had a very very uh, good conversations and discussions around climate change Mm-hmm. Where do we believe that the oil industry is going to be in 2050, for example, if the transformation does not take place? And eventually then the decision came that, okay, let's start to pilot this technology and let's see if, if Neste could be the, the again uh, playing uh, the, the niche market of introducing non-fossil fuels to the market yeah. and uh, that that was the starting point in 2006 numbers wise you do you, we don't need to go into the specific numbers but like it started out but with a fairly large investment from what i remember reading and then uh after that how has it grown roughly we invested um, so far i think we have invested close to 2 billion 1.8 billion uh, just to build the refineries because those were non-existing and we built first uh, two smaller units here in finland mm. 
I would say those were sort of a oil industry scale pilots, <laughs> relatively large, <laughs> but still in this industry, tiny, Small. tiny ones. Um, and then we built um, uh, close to one million ton uh, refinery in Singapore and then a similar size refinery in Rotterdam. And now we are considering uh, doubling the the production capacity in, in Singapore. So we started with the investments, but pretty quickly we were ramping up the whole value chain. I mean, where to buy the raw materials, how to ship them. And then when we have done the production, where are the most lucrative markets? Uh, how do we get the logistics in place to get the products to the market and and, and so on. And um, now if I look back, maybe we were a bit too much technology and investment focused at mm -hmm. the beginning, which yeah. is quite understandable when you when you know the history of the company. And if we were to do this again, if yeah. we, we with this knowledge and we would start again, we would develop uh, the, the full value chain simultaneously with, with the investments. Yeah. I still want to go back to to the moment in 2006 when when like you mentioned uh, Nesta was talking about whether the company should invest in in fossil fuels or or start looking into renewable fuels how did that decision get made and, and can can you talk a little about that inflection point because I th I think that's really really interesting that that because that's been a huge shift and I mean if it had gone differently Nesta would probably be a very different company today very hard to say whether we would be a different company. Um, of course, I mean, we had the patents for this technology, so the same decision could have been made two years or three years later on still. Sure. But it was, uh, I think it was, uh, it was quite a commitment. It was mm. a brave decision. I mean, there was no clear existing market and there was uh, no evidence that this technology is uh, scalable. Um, as much as, as what we eventually did. I mean, we are now producing uh, more than a million tons, both in, in Rotterdam and Singapore. And also, I think that the um, overall support, whether that was from the governments or from the oil industry, it wasn't necessarily there. I mean, the, uh, the big oil, is it's still not too interested in, in finding alternatives, to be honest. Um, <laughs> they, they know it. Yeah. So if I look at the years 2010 to 2012, 13, uh, it was tough. Lots of work to do around the new investments, quite a lot of work to do to make our customers aware of the product and really understand uh, the, the, the quality and the potential and so on, but also to get the authorities and the governments to be open for for this this type of uh, solutions did we anticipate all of that in 2006 well definitely not mm -hmm. um, and i think that's the reality that no um, no strategy is is full known when it's been decided but then um, those companies who succeed in in this kind of a journeys uh, they just need to be uh, transformative and adoptive and uh, in a way able to change the, the, the direction or fine-tune the direction. And there I think uh, Neste was uh, the right size company. I think 
that must have been a pretty big of a challenge also from the perspective of the people at Neste. So basically the company had been building fossil fuels or mostly fossil fuel based products until then. And now they had to start going into a completely different direction. How did that work out? When we started the the renewables, um, we were still utilizing, and we still are, using our own technology. We developed it in-house. So there was the element of uh, our own heritage, the refining expertise. It was there. But what we didn't really realize um, was that um, raw material markets were totally different compared to, if, if, if you think about crude oil uh, as, as a typical raw material. And then secondly, the customer segments turn out to be uh, relatively um, uh, different compared to the fossil fuels. I mean, of course, there are the typical um, users like uh, retail stations and so on. But there were also customers like uh, municipalities, cities, uh, sort of uh, totally new customer segments who were asking for solution. And and they wanted to buy carbon footprint reduction, mm-hmm. uh, while the traditional offering from an oil industry was how many liters you want to buy fuel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, h- how did the people uh, uh, cope with the with the change? Uh, it was v- it was very gradual. I mean, what we were doing, we were cannibalizing mm-hmm. exactly, our existing yeah. business. I mean, every single liter of renewable fuel that we sold we didn't sell the fossil fuel because yeah. it was uh, it was sort of replacing the fossil fuel and that took some time from from the organization to also um, start to accept it and it also uh, th- there was lots of uh, need to to discuss the topic and and create the uh, understanding why are we doing this and so on and then, of course, there were the moments uh, when when we were being criticized heavily that mm. uh, our operations are not sustainable and so on. And that was a big thing for the organization. Nobody wants to work with an with an employer who is not uh, behaving in, in in a sustainable way. And uh, that kind of a value discussions, as as mm-hmm. as we call them, or very thorough discussions. That uh, why do we think that uh, we we can make this business sustainable and and uh, create the license for ourselves to operate and create the trust? I think that well, those were difficult discussions uh, at times, but without those discussions, I don't think we would be here mm-hmm. because that created a lots of. Uh, also transparency yeah. in the company and it created um, lots of um, uh, trust. So what do you feel are the things that other companies could pick up from from the decisions that you made or the way ways in which you made the decisions? So how does another company start prioritizing renewable products or start prioritizing their their impact on the environment? I think we have we are now shifting from the management to start to look into also the leadership and uh, the the sort of uh, indirect impacts of of different of different companies if i'm listening uh, many companies it's not only what they do but it's also how their products are impacting the environment or then they are more and more interested in how is the overall value chain where they operate like if they buy raw materials from 
a certain source, but they are not the producers of the raw material themselves. They are just using it for their own production purposes. Those companies have started to look uh, at what is happening there in the field. I mean, this is a very um, a well-known uh, topic from textile industry, yeah, for example. Yeah. Or then if we look food industry, mm. very, very big topic that do you really know where the food is coming from? Do you yeah. know the the circumstances It's it has been cultivated or processed or mm-hmm. or however been developed? And then the um, the shift from definition of being a good corporate uh, uh, sort of a citizen or corporate uh, player in in our societies it's uh, also shifting from your sort of direct activities also to your indirect activities like okay how does my products uh, impact uh, the environment or how do my for example um, employment policies impact the local uh, talent pool or talent market and these kind of things. So uh, do you feel that it would be right to say that uh, previously or at least in the past we've focused mostly our efforts on on compliance issues that we have these reports on we fill out these reports on how we're doing or how we're compliant with with environmental regulations and then and that's pretty much all all that we do and then now there's a there's a bit of a, at least a bit of a shift towards actually trying to look at the the impact that our organization has indeed it's been it's been a journey um the sort of a compliance part was uh, what we saw in 1980s 1990s um and now it's more that okay what is my footprint yeah not only around what I'm doing here as a corporate and how do I operate but also that how do I how do I impact the societies around me mm-hmm. whether it's via products or or then via services or something like this uh, thanks for a really interesting discussion you're welcome thanks thank you for listening If you want to listen to another impressive story of transformation, listen to the episode with Risto Silasma, the founder of F-Secure and the chairman of the board at Nokia. Or the episode with Stanley McChrystal, the retired four-star U.S. general. If you want to support the podcast, share your favorite episodes on social media. Now, I'm off to a summer break. If you're interested in sponsoring the next season of Vasala Podcast, get in touch soon. Hope you all have a great summer. Bye-bye.